Good afternoon from the NBA studio in New York. I'm Seb, journalist for ABC News, and I want to welcome you to the fourth presidential debate. The participants tonight are Vice President Bo and Senate Majority Leader Absalom Bukir. The format for tonight's debate has been agreed to by both candidates, and the rules are as follows. The debate will be split into three sections of roughly equal length concerning economic policy, foreign policy, and domestic policy. For each question, each candidate shall be allowed to respond lasting up to up for up to three minutes. After both candidates have answered, each candidate shall be entitled to a rebuttal lasting for up to one minute. The moderator may allow for sub rebuttals if they so choose. Vice President Bo shall begin, and then Senator Epsilon. The, the candidate who will begin shall alternate each section. So without further ado, let's begin. The first segment relates broadly to economic policy, and the first question is as follows. How do you plan to address the growing wealth inequality in the United States, which many have said has gotten worse as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic? Vice President Bo, you have three minutes. So this, this is an important topic, and my campaign has a few key ideas which we, we would like to implement should we get in office. And I would say the biggest one is increasing the federal universal basic income, which is currently $50 on a monthly basis. My campaign wants to double that. And um, within within the term, should we be able to even past that point, look, um, look on to increase, eventually trying to get that up to the, the goal, which basically most people who want um, universal basic income want of $1,000 a month um, for every person in the country. And this... And this is an important topic because this will give people um, this, whether it's $100 or $1,000 a month, it gives them, they know that no matter what, they will have they will have this money. And especially if it does get up to that mark of 1000 that can help um, more particularly pay the bills and things like that. Now, if we're saying just $100, that puts more spending money in people's pockets, which goes into the community. Um, they may be able to spend more frivolously at small businesses, um, put that money um, into the economy, which cycles through, and maybe people be able, um, businesses will be able to pay higher wages and things like that. Um, when you see $100, you're like, well, what, what can I spend $100 on in one month? Well, you think, okay, well, I can go, maybe I can go spend it at a more expensive local restaurant, which I may not be able to go otherwise, which which may be suffering and not able to pay their employees how much they'd like to. And, and with this, by spending that $100 there, they will have more financial security to, to make the investments. And even an individual who has, who has this allotment of $100 a month, they can, they can invest that and that can grow and things like that. Otherwise, um, my campaign um, really supports things like, like unions and costs worker cooperatives and we have laid out a plan of how we are going to incentivize workers to to use and and take advantage of co-ops and establish exemptions in the in the land value tax for that and make sure that people know what they are what they're getting when they're using an alternative business model that, that they may not use otherwise. Thank you. Um, Senator Lefair, you have three minutes. Uh, thank you. 
Um, so I think this is a very important issue. And frankly, I don't quite know if my uh, fellow candidate has a very um, solid uh, plan for, for actually combating wealth inequality. Because an extra 100 bucks a month is, is nice, but that's an extra 100 bucks of, first of all, that, that's, only, that's only income. And second of all, um, at the end of the day, what really matters is making sure when it comes to wealth inequality is that people can actually accumulate uh, wealth over time. And so an extra 100 bucks, that helps. But that, that's not much at the end of the day. An extra 100 bucks is not going to allow you to spend frivolously, as you said before. Um, what we really need is first, we need to increase the minimum wage to a living wage that increases with the, with, uh, the consumer price index or inflation. That will bring in way more from the current federal minimum wage of 725 or even the current state minimum wages, which are still lower than the $15 an hour minimum wage that, that uh, we've proposed in Congress. Um, and passed already, although that was partly gutted by a Supreme Court decision, which was quite a mistake. Um, increasing that, you know, will give uh, individuals way more in, in, in income than what an extra 50 bucks added on to the already 50 they're getting um, from, the, from the UBI would ever give. Um, furthermore, we, we have to make sure that these communities and, and individuals who work so hard, <laughs> I have seen amazing individuals throughout this country um, and they work so hard, but they just can't for, for some reason get the credit that they need to be able to invest themselves in their communities. So to be able to do that, we need to establish a public chartered bank, for example, um, to allow people who would maybe normally not have access to the kind of um, credit that would allow them to start a small business or, um, you know, invest in their community more. Um, to allow them to have access to that credit, particularly communities of color, because many of the, in, in many of these communities, there's basically no access to credit at all except for payday loan lenders, which are abusive and exploitative. Um, something else I think we definitely need to be looking at um, is making sure that, uh, of course, as, as uh, VP Bo said, you know, looking at uh, cooperatives and alternative business models is, is important as well. But we really need to make sure when it comes to wealth accumulation, um, in which case, again, we need to take a, a close look at the, the racial disparities in wealth, which are massive. And, and a public charter bank would help that immensely because these communities have been historically marginalized and ignored by the traditional private credit market. Um, is that we need to look at um, making sure that people can actually invest in their community. An extra, it's not even an extra $100 a month. It's, it's an extra 50 because they're already getting the 50. And it's not enough. It, it's frankly it's frankly quite minimal um, what they're getting. Um, it, it, it's barely a UBI. Thank you, Senator. Um, Mr. Vice President, would you like to uh, offer a rebuttal? Yes, I would. And the first point you brought up was the minimum wage. And you are not going to pass minimum wage increases at the federal level, level following the Supreme Court ruling that came out in the 2015 case. We, increasing the minimum wage at a state level at the local level is a good idea and it's something I support and it's something I implemented in the state of Dixie. I passed a minimum wage increase in the Dixie General Assembly. Um, unless you are going to be passing a constitutional amendment to, uh, to allow Congress to do that, you are not going to be putting a blanket minimum wage across the country. And it's, it's an insane goal that your campaign has. And it's, you are proposing these things like you did in the Senate. You proposed your public banking bill that would be struck down in court. So you say you want to do these things, but 
you're trying to enact them in ways that if they get struck down in court, it would have no effect in in the long term. And you say that fifty dollars or a hundred dollars may not be may not be a lot of extra money in someone's pocket, but fifty dollars, a hundred dollars could make the difference for 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 someone's week or for someone's month. And like I said, we should be looking into how we can increase that over time to be a thousand dollars a month. Um every month for every person. And it's not something that we're going to be able to do overnight. We're not going to jump up from $50 to $1,000 in the first week of a Bo administration. We're going to be looking into how we can, how we can increase it rather Mr. than Vice looking President. into how, to, how we can subvert the constitution. Mr. Vice President, you are over time. Yeah. All right. See, you're talking so, about what my campaign is proposing. My campaign has proposed a amendment to the constitution to allow us to actually do what Congress is supposed to, which is help the people through uh, regulating commerce. And so we support a commerce amendment to come in and clarify that Congress actually does have these powers, which they had anyways. So the Supreme Court, unfortunately, was wrong on that decision. I very much disagree with it, even though I respect the final decision. Um, but regardless, uh, the real point here is uh, that you know a, a minimum wage increase will definitely help people way more than, than another $50 increase to the UBI. And you talk about getting that up to 1000 How are we supposed to get that up to 1000 when the Sandoval Bell administration is saying we can't even afford a small $500 million funeral fund to just allow people to have a dignified burial? We can't even, they're saying we can't even afford that. It is so small, much smaller than the tax uh, reduction um, in, in fiscal impact. Um, and yet the Sandoval Bell administration even opposed that. So I don't understand. You're telling people that they're going to get maybe an extra thousand bucks, but you have no way of actually being able to afford that with your current three red lines you talk about, for example, where you vetoed a budget and caused a shutdown because of that. So okay. I don't understand where you're going well, with that. No, no. Thank you very much, Senator Epsilon. This brings us nicely into our next question, which relates to the recent government shutdown. Uh, during the debate in the American Workers' Paper, the Vice President referred to the lies and deflection coming from the political left, while the Senate Majority Leader said that the presidential administration can't even fulfill its most basic obligations. Who do you blame for the budgetary delay, and do you believe the shutdown was justified? Vice President Bo, you have three minutes. So, look, we were, Congress, including Senator Epelon and his running mate, delayed budget negotiations until the last minute. And they did the passage of a continuing resolution through Congress and purposefully shut down the government. The administration had sponsored and submitted a continuing resolution through Congress that night. A shutdown could have been pre prevented that night. But Epsilon and Rose refused to pass, pass a CR and would rather play political games, pass a budget which they knew would be vetoed, that we said would be vetoed, and rammed through a budget which crossed the public lines, which were made by libertarian Republican members, as well as the administration. Um, like I said, Elon and Rose had the tools right at their hands to prevent the government from, from shutting down from, from programs, which millions of Americans rely on um, to get by, from shutting down. And we did negotiate a, a good faith budget, which both sides made concessions and both sides got things they wanted in, and it's something that we could have and should have done weeks ago, but instead, negotiations had been delayed. Um, they, Epsilon and Rose can say that 
we didn't have the spending reports, but we have been the most transparent executive branch in recent memory. Um, these, are the, these were the first types of reports required. And frankly, putting the requisite to negotiate the provisions of a budget is absurd, as it's not something that has been required for three years now. So Epsilon and Rose del had delayed budget negotiations and then shut down the government, despite the fact that they would have stopped it right then and right there. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Uh, Senator Leclerc, you have three minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when it comes to a shutdown, you really just have to look at the context. And the context is the Sandoval Bow administration had 60 days and plus an additional week to get a budget done. We actually gave them an extra week to uh, try and draft a budget, and they still didn't have it done. Like, they, they knew, like, it's not like you don't know when you become an administration. It's not like you don't know that there's a budget that's going to be coming due. So when you talk about negotiations, well, we tried to negotiate with the administration. We even asked for it multiple times. Um, but the administration didn't have anything ready for us, or they were doing something else for, like, I don't even know what the administration has been doing for, for the past, like, few months, to be honest. It's kind of all over the place. So when you're talking about the San Valbo administration, well, if they can't even get simple spending reports done, which are usually like a page long, um, how do you expect them to be able to get a budget done, for example, in the future? Like, for example, uh, Vice President Bo, my fellow candidate here, is campaigning on getting the budget out, you know, two weeks early, I believe it is. Um, how, why would we expect that when you're in the administration right now and you can't even get it out, not only just on the deadline, but a week later? You, I don't, so when it came to negotiations, negotiations couldn't start until the administration actually had something to propose. Until then, it was just no. All you said was no, that was it. There was no negotiations. It was just obstruction and refusal to pass a budget that, that Congress actually was able to make for you. And, and we have the shutdown in consequence because you would rather have a shutdown than have a budget that was actually made on time. And I, the, the, whole, the whole argument here that, that somehow um, con Congress was, was, was planning on having a shutdown, as if the people who did all the work on the budget, almost all the work on the budget, want to have a shutdown. It's just nonsensical. It's nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would we waste all this time making these budgets? Why would we waste this time getting all this data? Like, it was never a requirement that you had to have all the spending reports done. That just helps us make a budget because we know how much we actually have because we had departmental surplus, which we were able to use for other programs. That's important. And so an Epsilon administration would make sure that we actually have a budget done on time, which, as you saw, I, I and others, um, such as Rose, can do, um, and that we actually have spending reports out on time. Um, that way we know how much we're, we're making, and, and we know how much we have to, to spend in the next budget so we can, we can pass something that meets the needs of the American people. Mr. Vice President, would you like to offer a rebuttal? So yes, my campaign is pledging that if the Bo administration comes to fruition, that we would propose a budget two weeks before the deadline. And I'm not going to sit here and argue about whether or not I can do that, because the facts here are, and it's that you proposed a budget in Congress, which you knew would not pass, and you rammed it through at the last minute, 
instead of passing a continuing resolution so that we could negotiate a good faith budget. That those are the facts here. And you can the fact of the matter is the administration did Senator not Epstein, have please please no 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 did we, not we, have we, a budget to even negotiate. Senator Epsilon, okay. please do not I, I apologize, moderator. No 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 you don't even need like a baseline budget to negotiate on, we could have just started talking about whatever, what are the goals of Congress, what are the goals of the administration. We had attempted to begin negotiations multiple times over, and we were we were met with a brick wall. So this is, to say it was the administration at fault is simply absurd, because we had tried to negotiate multiple times over, and you submitted this this budget in Congress, which you knew was bad faith, you knew would not pass, that we said was vetoed, and yet it was rushed through instead of passing a continuing resolution to keep the government open. Senator Epson, would you like to offer a rebuttal to that? Yeah, it, it's just nonsensical to think that, that anybody would, would try it. The people who, would, who actually spent the effort to make a budget, find the time, and, and actually sit down, make a budget, and try. who did try and negotiate, we tried to negotiate multiple times, but we were met with nothing. It's either the administration was like, we're not ready yet, or, uh, you know, we have other things to do, which I don't even know what you're working on, to be honest. What was so important that you, you couldn't work on a budget? Because we had prepared to negotiate with you, but you just weren't there. You weren't there at all. And so I, I don't understand... I don't understand where you're getting this from, where you think, oh, well, I'm promising people to do something in the, in the upcoming administration that I couldn't even do in this current administration. You know, I don't, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, and I think you're really stretching it when, when you're saying that, that Congress um, somehow failed in its duties when the executive couldn't even draft a budget together to negotiate on or even get spending reports done. So I, I don't understand, like, how, in what way will, will Bo administration be any different than the incompetence and mismanagement we've seen under the Sandoval administration? And the simple fact of the matter is, there will be no difference. <laughs> that's, that's the end of it. Thank you, Senator Leclerc. Due to the contentiousness of this topic, we will be allowing Sir Buttles. Mr. Vice President, would you like to respond to what the Senator has been saying? Okay, saying that Congress had attempted to negotiate is nothing but, it's a straight lie, and it's really unfortunate that you're trying to, to lie to the American people straight to their face, and I know that they won't believe it. The administration had attempted to begin negotiation multiple times over. Congress, to my recollection, had never come to us, um, or, or if they did, I'm not sure what happened with that, but we did try Congress multiple times over to begin negotiating, and we were, and we were met with nothing. So I don't know if you have have facts wrong or if you're purposefully trying to to twist the truth here but but look the facts here are clear and it's that they continuing resolution in congress that night that could have passed that night but instead a last minute budget was rammed through that's what happened may i respond moderator yes Uh, thank you very much all right thank you um, I don't, I don't understand. We did try and negotiate with you. I was there. I was actually there, unlike you most of the time, unfortunately. And when you say, well, we weren't trying to negotiate in good faith, we, were you not here for the budget negotiation that we just had? Because we have been negotiating in good faith the entire time. We were incredibly flexible with the administration. And I don't understand, then, 
where you're going with, well, Congress is didn't negotiate in good faith because we did want to negotiate. We said, hey, okay, okay, you, okay, okay you, you negotiated Mr. in Vice good faith President, after please, you shut down Mr. the government. Vice President, please do not, please do not interrupt. I don't. Okay, then what do you think is? If if you think we negotiated in good faith, then that I don't understand what you're talking about then before because we reached out and, and talked about the same issues before. But I, I don't understand then. Now you're changing your tune and saying, okay, now you negotiate a good faith deal afterwards. Okay, okay. Then we're, oh, no, but no. regardless. Mr. Vice no, President, no. Please, it, do not, please do not okay. interrupt okay. the senator. Uh, don't worry, don't worry. Um, <laughs> so I don't understand where, where you're kind of going with this then. Because, you know, you talk about there was a CR, but, you know, there was a budget, an actual budget introduced even before that that barely got through Congress in time to prevent the shutdown. Um, and the president, instead of signing it, decided to veto it, and that caused the shutdown. So if you're talking about a CR even, you know, the fact of the matter is that wasn't even introduced, <laughs> like, fast enough to be able to avoid the shutdown in the first place. Thank you very much, Senator. We will be moving on to the next question uh, regarding um, Social Security. Social Security is an expense program with a sum of over $173 billion being appropriated to it in the budget currently being debated on the House floor. Do you support raising the retirement age? Mr. Vice President, you have three minutes. Okay. Sorry. No, I do not support um, um, raising the retirement age. We should be trying to make sure that every American has the financial security that they need before and going into retirement. And I think that raising the retirement age, I'm not sure where some people people get the idea. People should not be working um people should not be working until they're 70, until they're 80. People should be able to retire at a somewhat early stage in their in their mid or late 60s um and not have to worry about having to work until the day they die. Um I would support looking into how we can increase the solvency of social security making sure that we it's a sustainable program moving forward, but the solution to me is not raising the retirement age and I would never support or propose um raising the retirement age. Senator Epson, would you uh, you have 3 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, so so I would I would not support raising the retirement rates for for Social Security. Um, I do think we need to look at, at ways to ensure the long term sustainability. But unlike my uh, fellow candidate here, um, I'm actually willing to do the work to do that and to look at solutions such as um, a corporate income tax to make sure that that we have a a solid source of income for Social Security. I would make sure that we uh, repeal the the Responsible Finance Act, which makes you know. The, the number one, to my understanding, um, or at least one of the largest um, owners of, of U.S. debt is actually the Social Security Fund. Um, and so when you limit the availability of, of certain types of uh, marketable securities that can, that can fund U.S. debt, for example, you're actually harming the Social Security Fund. Um, but, but disregarding that, um, just to make sure that it has solid revenue that, that we invest into it. I would be looking at long-term solutions like um, a tax that would go directly to the Social Security Fund. Um, because as, as we all know, um, the U.S. is getting older over time. Um, and we have to make sure that, that we're able to afford um, th those long-term spending obligations that we're going to be having um, from uh, the United States becoming older. 
and so to, to make sure that, that, that we can do that, um, we'll definitely have to look at other uh, revenue options uh, for CERD. Because if the administration here is saying we can't even afford a $500 million funeral fund to make sure people have a dignified burial, well, then maybe we should take a little look at possible new sources of revenue. Mr. Vice President, would you like to respond? To well, that? I'll start off with the last point regarding the funeral fund. We didn't say we couldn't afford. We could. We never said that we couldn't afford it. To my understanding, we said that this was a better suited um, program for something else, such as state governments for emergency funds from the from the several state governments. But look, we can we can make sure that Social Security is sustainable in the long term without without raising the debt without without passing these stellar reforms, which has, which have hurt the government's ability to take on debt. And debt will only hurt the American populace. Debt will only hurt the American government long-term. And if we are going to try to make sure that all people in our society have the opportunity to succeed in life and retire, one way we can do that is not attempt to shackle them, um, shackle the next generations, shackle our children and, and grandchildren with with debt, which has been on the decline recently, but I have a feeling that the public debt in, a, in an Epsilon administration would do nothing but increase. Um, and that is not how we are going to provide society at large, especially um, younger people who will need Social Security just as much as I do when I'm older, or my family, or my friends when they need it, when they turn 65. So that, that is not the solution in my opinion. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Uh, Senator Senator Leclerc, would you like to respond? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you're looking at the long-term sustainability of Social Security, um, with the current very rigid, very unflexible public revenue system we have, which is which is the, the sole tax, the LVT, I just don't think reasonably you can look at that and go, this keeps our Social Security well secure itself, to be honest. And so we really need to take a close eye then at making sure that we have other sources of revenue, so we don't have to take on that debt that, that VP Bo is talking about. The red lines that, that VP Bo is talking about, you know, they they conflict each other oftentimes because when we have these spending obligations that you say you're going to protect, you know, that, that will become larger over time, but you also won't look at any new sources of revenue, well, one of those is going to have to budge. And at this time, because the, the LVT is already, if it's already over the rate of rent, um, so we need to look at other sources of revenue, like, for example, corporations, many of which are getting away with basically um, very paying very little in LVT because a corporation doesn't necessarily need a lot of land to make a lot of money. Amazon doesn't need a bunch of factories and, and farmland or, or anything like that everywhere. They just need, frankly, a lot of their workers can just work from home. Um, and so we need to be looking at other sources of revenue so we can not only protect, but also expand our social security benefits. Because if we want people to be able to retire in dignity, the current level, frankly, is not enough. It's barely um, meeting the, the necessities that, that the people we serve uh, require. Thank you very much, thank you very much Senator. Um, that concludes the economic policy section of this debate. We now move on to foreign policy. And the first question in this segment relates to the many allegations that the Chinese government is con committing acts of genocide against the Uyghur population in Xinjiang. Do you believe that the Chinese government is violating human rights in Xinjiang? And if so, how would you work to stop them? Senator Leclerc, you have three minutes. 
Thank you. Um, so in regards to uh, China's violations of, of, of human rights, um, I think the United States definitely needs to be a leader in, in calling out the, the Chinese communist regime, to, to be honest, um, because it, it, frankly, any, any human rights violations um, are, are unacceptable, but it, particularly at the scale that's happening in Xinjiang, for example, with the Uyghur population. Um, is is absolutely um, absolutely un unacceptable, um, especially if it if it's genocide, which which I believe it is. Um, so we need to form an international coalition and reengage with our allies to be able to put pressure on the Chinese regime to to end its human rights abuses in, in Xinjiang, and, th and that can include um, um, sanctions against individuals and, and and entities responsible for those atrocities. Um, <clears throat> I also think um, we, we can't let um, China bully the countries around it to, to um, you know, give it this kind of sort of immunity that seems to be trying to get from international law. So we also have to be sure that we're, we're um, standing by the countries that, um, that have been bullied or, or stepped on um, by the Chinese regime. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Vice President, you have three minutes. So absolutely, I believe that we need to recognize and try to correct the wrongdoings of the Chinese government. And the best way we can do that is working with our with our global allies abroad to try to apply the the diplomatic and, and economic pressure onto the Chinese government in a multitude of fashions. And as the Bo administration is seeking to be more globally involved, working with our allies, to to correct the wrongdoings of um, a United States government, which for three years has ceded power to two nations such as China, which have ulterior motives, and administration also um, would try to ensure that we're not letting China bully our friends and allies in East Asia, like we did in the Sandoval administration when we no longer recognize the um, Memorandum of Understanding from the Lamport administration, which basically gave China the South China Sea. We said no more. We're not going to let China trample and try to act like they're they're the boss of the boss of the world. Um, to get more back on the focus of the question, yeah, a Bo administration, absolutely. I absolutely recognize that what the Chinese government is doing to these populations is genocide, and we would do our um, anything in our hands possible to to apply the non-militaristic pressure onto the Chinese government to to right the wrongs which they have been doing for so long. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Uh, Senator Lucre, would you like to respond? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we can both agree that, that China's accents in, in Xinjiang are, are unacceptable and that the, it needs to end. I'm just a little bit concerned about the Billy <clears throat> Of a of a um, upcoming, uh, if you were to be elected, uh, Bo administration, and being able to do that because right now the Sandoval Bo administration has been really inconsistent in regards to, to, to foreign policy. Unfortunately, um, they've said they want to re-engage with the world, but they've also taken criticism from others about being inconsistent, about um, about not being not having a coherent strategy. Because um, it doesn't seem like the Sandoval Bo administration, frankly, has a coherent strategy about much of anything, um, and so I would I would be concerned um, 
if Bo were elected, um, if, if, if about that possibility. But under an Epsom administration, we would definitely make sure <clears throat> to having a coherent strategy that we, we work out with our allies and, and interested uh, state actors beforehand. So we don't have um, situations where we're supposed to be helping somebody, but they, they're left out in the dark because they weren't even either informed or the administration just didn't have any kind of solid strategy worked out beforehand to be able to combat these these violations and, and the actions of, of the, the inappropriate actions of, of the Chinese regime. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Vice President, would you like to respond to that? So the rebuilding the rebuilding America's foreign policy apparatus after three years of isolationist decisions, which have brought us farther and farther away from our allies, is not an easy task. It's not something that you can do overnight. It's not something that you can do um, even in one administration. It's a it's an overarching thing which needs to be worked on by not just the United States, but the world who wants to who wants us to be there, who wants us to collaborate with them and you know that's not even always the case like or in this term we've had to um withdraw military bases from the uk which um of course if it's what the uk wants it's what what we should do um i think that but to say that we have had incoherent foreign policy in my opinion is wrong as it's no easy task to to do things we've attempted um we've been discussing with other nations around the world. We've been renegotiating trade deals, which we have withdrawn from. Um, it's no easy task, and it's uh, Bo administration would seek to have coherent foreign policy and um, re-engage with our allies around the world. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Mr. Moderator, may I, sit, may I ask one question real quick? You may respond to what the Vice President has been saying, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so you talk about a coherent foreign policy. I'm trying to just think to myself, how you would, how do you get to that conclusion? Because to my understanding, and you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the only solid action that the Sandoval Bo administration seems to have taken and actually getting something that had results, even if the results weren't what was intended, um, was shooting down a Chinese drone near near uh, Guam, to my understanding. That's the only thing I can think of that the Sandoval Bo administration has really actually accomplished, quote unquote. So if there's anything else at all, feel free to inform me of what you've actually accomplished while having your term. Okay, well, look, not every foreign policy, a lot of it happens um, in private, discussing with other world leaders, we freed, when I was acting president, we freed Salvatore Basile from the, the American hostage in China, which something which took took a long time. We were finally able to achieve. We've been renegotiating trade deals and looking how we can how we can re-engage with the world from an economic and trade standpoint. Um, so just the even just discussing with other with other nations is a step forward from what we've seen. So to say that the only foreign policy quote unquote accomplishment of the administration was shooting down a Chinese drone is simply false because, like I said, we've begun negotiating, renegotiating, um, re-entering trade deals. We freed Salvatore Basile when I was acting president. We have begun discussing with other nations. So simply, I don't know if you don't watch the news. I don't, or if you're purposefully. To, to to bend the truth here, but we have done a lot more mm. than um, um, than shoot down a Chinese drone. 
that concludes this uh, question. We now move on to the second and final question of this segment. Uh, do you agree with President Valerie's withdrawal from NATO finalized by the Supreme Court's ruling in Epsilon v. United States? And as president, would you work to rejoin NATO? Senator Leclerc, you have three minutes. Thank you. Um, in regards to NATO, uh, I definitely did not support the NATO the withdrawal from NATO. I think it weakened our ties with our European allies and what, who, frankly, are democratic allies. Um, <clears throat> and and the damage the U.S.'s credibility across the globe. If the U.S. isn't willing to uphold its defense commitments to even some of its oldest and most reliable allies, how could we be expected to with others across the world, you know, if, if they come to uh, us and rely on us? Um, so I definitely don't support the, the withdrawal from NATO. Now, regarding um, rejoining NATO, well, this gets into kind of what I've talked about with others, which is that it doesn't, it's not like an off and on switch. You can't just, you can't just like uh, rejoin immediately or, or rejoin just like that, like with a snap of a finger. Like the, our NATO, our former NATO allies just do not reasonably, would not have us back into NATO because why would they trust our commitment when we just left? Um, why would they trust that to actually be there um, to defend them if, if they needed it um, or, or vice versa? Um, and so, I unfortunately, because of the, the bad foreign policy, the isolation foreign policy that, that um, libertarian, or I'll just say right-wing, because the right-wing parties have changed over time, that right-wing parties have really doubled down on um, with the NATO withdrawal, starting with Patty and, and ending with, with, with Valerie, to my understanding. Um, we just have extremely damaged our, our relations with some of our strongest and most um, uh, democratic allies. And we're just not going to get that back anytime soon. So an Epsilon administration, what NATO, rejoining NATO just isn't going to happen anytime in the future. Um, probably for multiple administrations, even if that was a policy goal. Um, but an Epsilon administration will work to re-strengthen our relations and ties with our former NATO allies to make sure that we have a united front um, supporting our democratic values and human rights uh, across the globe instead of allowing countries like Russia and China to, to dominate um, the, global, uh, the global space. Thank you, Senator, Mr. Vice President. You have three minutes. So yes, at the time I supported the, the NATO withdrawal and the Supreme Court case decision, which, which kept us out. Um, the merits, we simply, like my opponent, simply cannot be going back and forth. Not only will, would they not allow us, um, it's simply bad foreign policy for us to be um, consistently flip-flopping back and forth as to whether or not we want to make these commitments or not to these to these large international entities. One thing that I will say was a mistake of previous administrations, um, Valerie Garland, Cabin, whatever, is that they did not try to fill in the gaps of, of NATO. I think that leaving, leaving NATO is, it's okay, it's a good decision, whatever. But you need to be able to take these policy steps bilaterally with the NATO allies, like my opponent said, to fill in the gaps, because if not, we are going to continue to cede power to Russia and China and other nations with ulterior motives who want to who want to commit atrocities around the world, who want to take control of the world. Um, 
So, like I said, I think leaving Yada was okay. It maybe was the best long-term decision that we could have made. Um, whether NATO was a net positive for the United States or even the global community at large, irregardless, it is simply irresponsible for us to draw and then simply cut off ties and basically de facto cut off ties and relationships and not talk to our allies anymore, which was something which previous administrations have done wrong. It's something that we have begun to correct in the Sandoval administration, and it's something that we would further attempt to resolve in in the administration. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Um, Senator Leclerc, would you like to respond to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, when the Vice President, you know, talks about all the complications and, and issues with leaving NATO and then and then basically just like writes it off as well, leaving NATO was good still. I, I think that really is a quite a uh, beyond inaccurate, but just just overly simplistic way of looking at the NATO withdrawal. It's not even just about the defense obligations. Um, our military is on NATO standards. Our, our security, you know, our research projects, you know, these are with NATO allies. The amount of damage is done probably to R&D alone is, is frankly probably incomparable to, to at any time in, in American history. Um, so R&D being research and development. So to say that, like, for example, you know, our training standards, our, our ammunition, everything is on NATO standards. And so when you just leave from NATO, that, that basically completely... Uh, completely demolishes our supply chain because we all we we get we get uh, arms and and ammunition from our nato allies oftentimes because the those are the the, the best uh items to meet our security needs and now we've we've basically thrown nato out the window so the damage it's going to it's not going to be just you know oh we'll move on that this is something that's going to take serious policy revision to be able to fix the damage that has happened from the nato withdrawal um, Mr. Vice President, would you like to respond to the senator? Like I, like I said, a Bo administration would seek to fill in the gaps of the NATO withdrawal, whether it be international creation with our allies or or attempting to still fit those military standards, which we should. But I don't have anything else to say. But um, we can we can recognize that Na leaving NATO was a positive decision. But take all these steps afterwards to make sure that we took the right course and make sure it was the right decision. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. We now move on to the third and final section of this debate concerning domestic policy. My first question is as follows. What is your general opinion on the Supreme Court and what reforms would you push at before as president, if any? Um, Vice President Bo, you have three minutes. Um, I can't think of any exactly reforms I would push to the Supreme Court. I know that it's, I mean, I support the, the current Supreme Court as it stands. I believe it gives every branch of government an opinion in the matter the president nominates and the Senate confirms. Of course, the Bo administration would seek every, um, would make sure that we keep a balanced court between right, uh, quote unquote, right wing and left wing judicial ideologies. But I can't, I can't really think of any quote-unquote reforms which a Bow administration would push the Supreme Court because that that's really a topic that I've never never heard of before. Um, so we would 
we would make sure that the people were appointing to whether it's the Supreme Court or, or other advising consent courts for the president and the Senate are judicially competent and the courts remain balanced across the country. But like I said, uh, Supreme Court reform is a is an odd topic. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Vice President. Uh, Sandra Leclerc, you have three minutes as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I support reform to the Supreme Court and frankly, to the judicial nomination process in general. Um, I, I think any, you know, tacit uh, um, observer of, uh, of uh, the US, uh, judicial nomination process, frankly, can, can see that, that it's been more often not, frankly, politicized. And so we need to avoid that. We need to take the, the, the partisanship out of, um, out of the judicial nomination process. And so as president, um, an Epson administration um, would, would ensure that any judicial nominee that, that we um, need, any basically open judicial seat that we need to fill with a nomination would, would go through an independent commission process to make sure that one, that politics isn't playing a role and who gets uh, put on on the bench, and and two, um, just to just to kind of decrease the the tension that goes along with with oftentimes these Supreme Court um, nominations, because in the past we've seen it's been quite um, frankly damaging to the the social fabric of, of the country when a seat opens up. Um, so uh, we we would support a, a independent judicial commission. Um, if not through Congress and an amendment to the Constitution, um, uh, at least through a presidential commission, because the president has the has the authority currently to, to nominate. Um, but but in the future, we would really look more towards a an amendment to the Constitution, making a independent judicial nomination commission to make to make those recommendations to the Senate instead of the president or et cetera. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Vice President, you have three minutes. Oh, oh sorry. in the... Uh, um, yep. Would you like to respond to what Senator Leclerc has said? Uh, yeah, yes, I would. Look, Epsilon says that there has been partisanship in the courts, and the way I understand that is that following the Constitution like it was written, like it's supposed to be followed, is supposedly partisanship. And in this past administration, we nominated and was confirmed a former left-wing politician um, who went through the Senate with all but one vote, which was of my opponent because the, the nominee, now Chief Justice Thanos, failed to adhere to um, Epsilon's mushy opinions of the Constitution. So I don't, I don't think I would actually trust um, Senator Epsilon to make um, judicial nominations for people who, who follow the Constitution like it's supposed to be followed. He can talk about this this judicial reform, this judicial appointment commission. But at the end of the day, um, unless they pass through an amendment to, to stop that, it the power falls at the hands of the president to nominate, uh, nominate justice. Uh, May I respond quick? Yes, thank we, you. Yeah. All right, thank you. Um, so, so towards that point is, you know, you talk about appointing somebody who is a left-wing politician. Well, frankly, we shouldn't have justices where we go Oh, that person, you know, clearly leans this way politically or that way politically. We shouldn't really have judges like that. We shouldn't have left wing and right wing judges. We should just have judges. And so that is what a independent 
um, judicial nomination process would look like, where we just have judges. We don't go through this whole political charade, you know, when we do these nominations. Um, we need a process that ensures that the independence of the judiciary is guaranteed, um, that it's not just at the whims of, you know, uh, the political winds of the day. Um, and so making sure any advising consent judge should frankly go through um, any, uh, an, independent, an independent judicial nomination process. Um, and so an Epson administration would do that. We would establish a commission um, to, to ensure that, that our, our nominees are independent and qualified um, as opposed to the current way that um, it's done, which is just the president picks whoever they like. If they happen to be left wing, that's great, but um, we don't want it to just, if they happen to be left wing, we want it to be guaranteed to be independent um, or, you know, et cetera. Thank you very much, Senator. That brings us to the final question of this debate regarding the District of Columbia. The no taxation without representation amendment gave DC voting rights in the House of Representatives. Do you agree with this measure? And as president, would you push for DC statehood or the DC delegates to the Senate that Representative Ryuki proposed in the DC DA Act? Mr. Vice President, you have three minutes. So yes, I did. I did support the no taxation without representation, um, and I talked about it with the the sponsor in Congress who who is moderating the debate and. Um, I, I wouldn't support D.C. statehood. I don't think that the, the seat of the government, which is meant to be its own particular area, should be considered a state. Um, a delegate that um, I don't really view that as a productive step forward. Um, but if it it's not something that I would be in stark contrast to. It's not something I support at face value. Um, but it's not something that I exactly oppose. But yes, I did. I proudly would have if I was in Congress, voted for the No Taxation Without Representation Amendment, and yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Vice President. Senator LeClaire, you have three minutes. Thank you. Um, so I definitely support uh, DC representation in, in the House. Um, regarding statehood and, and potentially a Senate delegate of some sort, uh, in regards to statehood, I think there is a good argument for D.C. statehood, but I also think there are potential issues in regards to the fact that um, now, due to the 2018 reforms, we have very large states. And so the population difference between, for example, um, Dixie or the North or Jefferson and, and D.C., for example, <clears throat> would be very large, much larger than even exists between, you know, those states now and, and the state of Puerto Rico. And so that's something that we have to be aware of because that is very... Um, the, the Senate is an entirely undemocratic institution at, at its core. It's, it, it's based on land rather than people. And so we really need a, if, if we're going to look at D.C. statehood, which, which I think, you know, that kind of um, autonomy um, is something that, that the people of D.C. Um, definitely should be available to them. Um, I think we're going to have to take a close look at, at our institutions in general and see what we can do to create an, equi an equitable uh, solution to, to all the involved actors, such as the people of DC. Thank you very much to both candidates. That's, that concludes our debate for this afternoon. We will cover everything in an hour long debate, but the questions that both candidates answered today will certainly give an insight into how a Bo or Leclerc administration will look like. My thanks to both Vice President Bill and Senator Leclerc for attending tonight, today's debate.
Have a good day, everyone.